Hey everybody, welcome to Dead Pilot Society, a podcast that takes comedy pilots from A-list writers that were sold and developed at networks but never produced and gives them the table reads they never got a chance to have. I'm Andrew Reich, I'm the creator and co-host of Dead Pilot Society. I want to thank everyone who came to our sold out show at Largo a couple weeks ago. It was just a great night, truly incredible cast, just so much fun. I'm not sure when our next one will be. But it will be soon, January, February, maybe. Keep listening so you won't miss it. Uh, so here's what's on my mind today. I've, been, I've noticed that when talking about creating shows, people often want to know how much of the series the writers have thought about in advance. It seems to be something that fans want from creators. Uh, I always joke that people love hearing that writers write in longhand on legal pads, that that somehow makes them seem like geniuses. And I think hearing that a writer came up with the whole arc of a series from the very beginning is the same kind of thing. You know, if a writer just came up with a situation and characters and a pilot script and figured they'd figure out the rest of it as they go, that somehow seems lazy to people, not sufficiently geniusy. But I've come to believe that this idea of these omniscient creators that know everything ahead of time is a myth, and I think it should be a myth. I'm not sure it's really something to even strive for. One of the things that got me thinking about this was I just finished season two of Stranger Things, and I was watching a little bit of Beyond Stranger Things, which is the cast and crew interview show that follows the series. And it was clear that the Duffer brothers who created the show had no idea what they were going to do for a second season when they made the first. And while I don't think the second season is as strong as season one, there are some really amazing scenes between the characters of Eleven and Hopper. And the Duffers said that they made that combination it's such a big part of the second season based on seeing how good those two actors were in the first season. And they might never have thrown them together if they had planned the whole thing out in advance. You know, if you have this plan written in stone, it doesn't allow you to take advantage of what you discover once you've got actors inhabiting the roles. Uh, another example from my own experience is I was writing on, when I was writing on Friends, I remember in the fourth season of the show, we came up with the idea to have Monica and Chandler sleep together. And we planned out a four episode arc for that story. I don't remember it exactly, but it was basically they sleep together at Ross's wedding to Emily. They keep it a secret for an episode. The other friends find out. They're embarrassed. They decide it was a bad idea and they'll never do that again. The end. I mean, I don't know if it was exactly like that, but I definitely remember we had four episodes planned. And then we shot that wedding episode in London. And when we revealed Monica and Chandler in bed together, it was greeted with the most incredible reaction from a live audience any of us had ever heard. I mean, we always had great audience response on that show, but this was just at another level. And we all kind of looked at each other and went, this may be more than four episodes. And it turned out to be a six-season arc that only ended because the show ended. So you, know, you have to understand, when, you know, when David Crane and Marta Kaufman pitched Friends, they did not know any of the stuff that we were going to end up doing. I've heard Vince Gilligan interviewed. You know, When he pitched Breaking Bad, he didn't know so much of the stuff that ended up in that show. And it's a great thing about television as opposed to movies that you can, you can see what works, what actors are popping, what combinations are great, and find a lot of magic that way. So I think we should stop 
expecting creators to have everything figured out ahead of time. So speaking of creators, our dead pilot this time is Women and Girls by Kristen Newman. Kristen is an awesome person, fantastic writer and showrunner. She's written on That 70s Show, How I Met Your Mother, Chuck, The Neighbors, Gallivant. She's also the author of a really funny book, a memoir called What I Was Doing While You Were Breeding. I'm going to try something a little different this episode. This is based on a listener request. Uh, I'm going to play the pilot first and then my interview with Kristen. Uh, I didn't say it was going to be mind-blowingly different. It's just a little different. Uh, A listener said that they think that the interviews are often more interesting to them after they've heard the pilot. And I think in this case that might be true. I really love talking to Kristen. So definitely stick around and listen to the, the interview Uh, which is going to be after the pilot. Let us know which way you prefer on Twitter at Dead Pilots Pod or on Facebook and Instagram at Dead Pilots Society. We've got a great cast for this one led by Constance Zimmer. Um, So here's Women and Girls by Kristen Newman after a brief message. Hi, everybody. I'm your oldest brother, Justin McElroy. I'm your middlest brother, Travis McElroy. And I'm your sweet baby brother, Griffin McElroy. Me and 3,000 of your closest friends just found your next podcast obsession. Serial! Okay, but like, the second best podcast. 99% Oh, f***. Just listen to my brother, my brother, and me on MaximumFun.org. There you go. Perfect. Perfect. Thank you. This is Women and Girls by Kristen Newman. The cold open, we're on an airplane, close on a satin sleeping mask on the face of a pretty sleeping woman. This is 35-year-old, work-hard, play-hard alpha, Sarah Stewart. We widen to see that Sarah is curled onto an old man in the adjacent seat. She's hugging his arm. Her leg is flung over his legs. He looks happy. We hear a French flight attendant over the intercom. Welcome to New York's JFK. We hope you have enjoyed your flight from Paris, and thank you for choosing... Air France. Ding! Sarah startles awake, pushes her mask up, pulls out her earplugs, and looks up at the stranger she's cuddling. Oh, 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 oh God. I, I was really... In- You're a real snuggler. <laughs> I'm Marvin. Oh, boy. Sorry, Ambien. <laughs> you know, I didn't, I didn't try to sleep eat you, did I? I mean, I was having a pretty vivid dream about bread, so I'm a little worried. An irritated old woman next to him is getting up. Let's go, Marvin. Oh, I am sorry to you, too. Uh, oof. You know what? Would you mind if I just... Um... She snatches up her things, pushing past them. Uh, sorry, I've got to get to work. Just a quick, crazy weekend in Paris. You know, letting a little air out of the tire, you know? Oh, my God. Was that your foot? I am so sorry. Everyone hates her. <laughs> I am the worst. You wish I was more patient. Totally agree. Therapist does too. It's it's how much how she affords a Porsche. But thank you so much. And with that, Sarah sprints out of the airplane first. We're interior Amanda Kate's bedroom an hour later. The sun shines on a sleeping 22-year-old, Amanda Kate. She is a mess of bed hair and last night's makeup. We see her from the POV of her parents. She's so precious. Wake up, perfect girl. It's your last day of college. Amanda Kate now opens her eyes. From, um, from AK, Amanda Kate's POV, her parents peer adoringly down at her. It's the shot one usually sees when parents are peering into a crib. Bob is an easygoing, rumpled professor. Lucy is a younger therapist with narcissistic personality disorder. 
I can't believe I got my tiny, beautiful baby through college. And we got a 3.7. Aw, you guys. I made my special croissants. Uh, yummy, but so sleepy still. Tequila, but I love you. A toilet flushes and Tyler, a tussled 22-year-old in boxer shorts, emerges from the bathroom. Well, hello, Tyler. We didn't know Amanda Kate had company. And I didn't know guys sleep over in my house. Tyler crawls under the covers with AK. Uh, no worries, Baba. We're just snuggle buddies. AK's like a sister. Oh. <laughs> Okay. If you want to know how I'm sleeping with Dad, check Facebook. Otherwise, please respect my privacy. (laughs) Sorry, baby, we'll go. Just let me tuck you in. Lucy wraps the sheets around AK's head. Oh, um, my left ear is still cold. Mm, Yeah, that's better. Bob turns up the white noise machine. Lucy keeps stroking. Lucy and Bob tiptoe out like they're leaving an infant. We're interior HSJ property developer's office later that morning. Sarah blows in, pulling her overnight bag. We're at her office, a sleek open bullpen that houses HSJ, a company that owns several Grove-like outdoor malls. The vibe is corporate. The employees are 80% male. Sarah approaches Caitlin, a 23-year-old Tracy Flick type who is the owner's assistant. Morning, Sarah. Look what I got. She holds up a fancy purse. It is exactly the same as Sarah's. Twinsies, I didn't think I'd be able to score one for years, but my mom was like, you got to carry the bag for the job you want, which is yours, so she bought it for me. Inspiring life lesson. Uh, Is he in yet? Hank, Sarah's sexy yet intimidatingly hard-to-read boss and the sole owner of HSJ, is behind her. I love that he always means me. Sarah turns and smiles. They like each other, but she's all business. Good morning. I just wanted to check in on Barnes & Noble. They're pulling their last store. He now owns no malls with a bookstore. He's very disappointed in humanity. Are you going to do more of those? We'll see. I think he's done. No, he wasn't. (laughs) You know, I can't believe bookstores are over. I go to bookstores like once a week. Walk away from him. Hims, hims, him. He means go. Caitlin scurries off. Hank notices Sarah's suitcase. You go somewhere this weekend? Uh, nope. Just picked up my laundry. Quiet weekend. Worked on the Macy's deal. It's in your email. Oh, also, so sorry, but I have to go to my sister Amanda Kate's college graduation tomorrow afternoon. You have a sister with two first names? She was born when Tiffany Amber and Brian Austin were happening. A half-sister. Same dad. Same nothing else. She never moved out, never learned how to drive, never worked a day in her life. So what's she going to do now? No idea, but she is in for a rude awakening. Interior Amanda Kate's bedroom at the same time. Close on AK, still asleep, not having any kind of awakening, rude or otherwise. Lucy's hand comes into frame, lays a croissant on AK's chest, then quietly disappears. (laughs) A beat, and then Tyler's hand reaches into frame and removes the croissant. We cut to the main title, Women and Girls. Act one, we're interior train the next day. Sarah and Paula, Sarah's no-nonsense best friend, ride the train. Is it wrong that I like Hank more because he's scary? Shouldn't I prefer people who are lovely to everyone? You know who's lovely to everyone? Golden retrievers. The ability to judge and withhold affection is the only thing that separates us from animals. Okay, good. So the only wrong thing in my life is that I like my boss? I mean, you didn't have to take a pregnancy test because what you did with that Cirque du Soleil gymnast was right. (laughs) Hmm. 
Right. Okay. Thanks for coming with me today. You know, do you think this might be the day my dad's awful wife utters a sentence without the words I, me, or my in it? <laughs> How is she a therapist? She bursts into tears six times a day. Well, she says it's because of her overdeveloped sense of empathy. She's very braggy about her ability to feel basic human emotions. <laughs> we smashed a Bob and Lucy's house a little later. Days like this make me so grateful I feel joy more deeply than other people. <laughs> we widen to see Lucy is chatting up a few guests near Bob and AK, beaming in her cap and gown. We're at a daytime party at Bob and Lucy's messy, book-filled, warm house. Paula and Sarah enter. They pass a collection of photos of AK that takes up an entire wall like a shrine. Okay, welcome to the church of Amanda Kate. Ugh, should we leave some incense or maybe the small bones of a saint? Sarah picks up some lit incense on the shrine. AK runs up. Sarah, thank you so much for coming. Hi, AK, congratulations. Amanda Kate hugs Paula. And you brought your lady husband. I am not necessarily the husband. Sometimes Sarah initiates. You usually initiate. I want what I want. Isn't making out with your friends so fun? What? No, we were doing it. We, we don't... Wait, you make out with your friends? Only upstairs. A, a couple of times downstairs. Sarah notices that AK is also carrying a child's magic wand. Is that a magic wand? Present from Dad, because I'm a magic maker. Okay, yeah. Oh, dear. Anyway, come on in. AK leads them over to Bob and Lucy. So there I was, this young grad student. And I kept stumbling over my lecture. I couldn't keep my head straight. <laughs> I mean, obviously Bob is a sexy man, but when he talks sociology... Oh, Paula whispers to Sarah. When does she get to the part where he had a wife and a child at home? Oh, she skips that part. She feels more guilt than most people. Uh, she, is, she is amazing at feeling guilt. At Bob and Lucy's house a little later, the girls have drinks with A.K. Bob, Lucy, and guests. So, Amanda Kate, what are your plans now that you've graduated? A relaxed AK eats cake with her hands. Relaxing. Uh, eating cake with my hands. All of my young patients are saying it's impossible to find fulfilling work. The entry-level jobs are being taken by overqualified people, so underqualified people like my daughter have no options. Wall Street. Thank you, Obama. AK has a very strong work ethic. She volunteers as a puppeteer. And we knit as a family. I make summertime doggy beanies for the poor. And you have your synchronized swimming. Wait, so you volunteer and knit and do water aerobics? Honey, I think you're retired. <laughs> oh my gosh, totally. You're so right. <laughs> Sarah, how did you get your first job? I, I can't recall. Well... I told the guy at the store that I was 14 and my dad had a new shiny family, so I had to help my mom pay our gas bill before they turned off our heat in January. Bob looks down at his feet. Everyone is awkward for a beat. Oil companies. They're the real enemy, right? So, Bob, what do we have? What do we got in the way of single professors with a thing for recent divorcees? Uh, that one's single. Little Aspergery. Eh, eye contact creeps me on anyway. He's 60. Go on. He's in an improv comedy troupe. Hard pass. <laughs> AK, let's get some snacks. AK and Paula head away. So, Sarah, I wanted to ask you a favor. You couldn't maybe get your sister something at your office? Like some company stationery to cover on? Sure. No, like a job. Oh, then definitely not. She's smart, Sarah. She's a lot like you, actually. In that she is also a human woman? <laughs> she just needs to learn a little bit about the world. You could teach her. 
why me? I mean, wasn't her Asian mom supposed to, like, you know, tiger her into usefulness? Not to stereotype? Well, Lucy's tiger mom was stereotypical enough that she might have overcorrected. Despite herself, Sarah smiles at her dad. Maybe I could get her an unpaid internship. My therapist has been suggesting I work on my nurturing skills by getting a cat. Maybe getting AK would work even better. That would be so great. But come on, it's not like your sister is the same as it. But Sarah points over at AK, who has curled up on the couch in a patch of sun for a nap like a cat. Lucy uh. pets her head. Oh. I'll just get her a box to pee in and we'll be all set. Off Sarah, examining her new pet. We go to the HSJ offices a few days later. Sarah gives a presentation to Hank and a few other male employees at a conference table. Caitlin takes notes. So, as much as it pains me to fill a space that was filled with books with expensive yoga pants, I think Coco Carrot Athletica is our best bet. Because the world is ending! (laughs) One of the bros, Bruce, leans into Hank. Disagree. Have you seen what those pants do to mom's butts? They turn Trader Joe's into a middle-aged beauty pageant. (laughs) (laughs) He looks to Hank, who gives him nothing. So, Coco Carrot's new CEO is coming in today. He's the owner's kid, just out of B school, but they're handing him the reins. Caitlin shoots her hand up in the air. Hank rolls his eyes. Caitlin, you're not in class. What? Just a little intel. I was on Tad, the CEO's Instagram, and he is way into the Steelers, if that's helpful. Oh, they're playing tonight. Want me to take him to a bar, watch the game, pitch the location? You and I can finally have a work hang if you're up for some dudage, too. I'm not doing that and stop saying dude. No one needs to dude anything. He comes in, we present the space using a lot of big words and math, and he'll sign so he won't have to ask a bunch of stupid questions. By the way, we also have that empty space out in Hoboken. Our junior's parents don't like that location. Something about too much traffic or the moms out there don't work out enough. But it's a good spot for them. Big girls wear yoga pants too. It's such a bummer. Okay, Sarah. (laughs) Try to get baby CEO to go for two stores instead of one. So where's your sister? Wasn't she starting today? Yes, I don't know where she... Oh, no. She's looking at AK, who is entering with Bob and Lucy. Lucy shakes hands with people who are trying to work as they make their way in. Hi, Lucy Warren, Amanda Kate's mom. I'm a therapist. Hi, Lucy Warren. Uh, what is happening? I tried to lose them at Coffee Bean, but they put a chip in me when I was four. She hugs Sarah. Hi, look at you. You look, you look so grown up. AK is wearing dressed up pajama pants. Yep, because I'm wearing grown-up clothes. Because I'm grown up. We came in to excuse her tardiness. It's totally our fault. Just couldn't resist taking her for a first morning breakfast. Hello, you must be Sarah's family. Indeed. Uh, Guys, this is Hank Jessup, the owner of the company. AK throws her arms around Hank. My new boss! So nice to meet you. Oh, we're touching bodies now. Okay. Listen, um, I wanted to chat about Amanda Kate a bit. Hear your advancement plans for her, ways we can be involved, etc. And make sure to talk about our other daughter too, Bob. Mm-hmm. Both girls are equally important to me. Uh, nope, nope, don't do any of that. <laughs> Bob so, and Lucy lead an ambushed Hank off. I was reading that Google has bring your parents to work day. Have you considered anything like that? Sarah wants to die. After they're gone, she turns to AK. Are you wearing pajama pants? I am, but they have pockets because I'm a professional. I might need to carry like a stapler or something. AK beams and squeezes Sarah. Off Sarah and her new coworker, we end act one. Act two, 
HSJ property office is a little later. AK is perched on Caitlin's desk, gabbing. Sarah comes out of Hank's office with Hank and Tad, the 24-year-old, douchey, handsome, man-child CEO. They overhear... It's so cool you're Sarah's sister. You know, a lot of people call me a young Sarah. Well, that's upsetting. Oh my gosh, it isn't at all. I take it as a compliment, because you're so smart and awesome, and they're saying I'm that smart and awesome, too, just younger. (laughs) Thank you for understanding the situation so well. Caitlin, don't get cocky. Okay, You're going to die just like the rest of us. And we'll be gone before New York is China and the oceans are boiling, so enjoy all that. All right, we're heading over to legal. Uh, Coco Carrot's new CEO is opening two stores with us today. Tad, the CEO, pumps his fist. Yeah, boo! Everyone looks confused except for AK. Oh, it's a backwards booyah! <laughs> Thank you. It's my thing. Yeah, boo! Yeah, boo! <laughs> AK and Tad high five flirtily. Can I just say, Tad, you are doing a fantastic job of wearing that suit. You're like a little piece of corporate American pie. Okay, Tad, shall we head to legal? I will meet you guys there. AK, can I talk to you for a sec? Yeah, sure, what's up? Sarah pulls AK aside as Hank and Tad cross away. First, let's cover work speak. We do not imply that we would like to take a bite out of our clients. (laughs) Oh, I was more thinking about topping him with Cool Whip. But yeah, you're right, I hear you. Second... (laughs) Remember how you're supposed to answer that phone over there? Oh, totally. So I forwarded it to myself. Okay. But you also need to sit at the desk so you can greet people when they come in. Really? That that seems really formal. Well, it is formal because we are in an office, which is inherently formal. Right. Okay. I hear you. On it. Sarah nods and walks away. To her disappointment, AK follows. So, you and Hank seem to have a fun little thing. Why don't we all do celebratory drinks with Yummy Tad tonight, see where it all goes? Because Hank's my boss. (laughs) Since when can't you date your boss? Since there have been bosses. I've never heard that. You have never heard that you don't date your boss? Okay, topic change. I am getting the sense that Party Sarah and Work Sarah do not cohabitate. Tell me about that. Oh, also, what's the lunch sitch? Coffee bean was out of Go-Gurts. Why are you still not at your desk? (laughs) AK steps closer to Sarah, a challenge. I will sit at my desk after you admit that you like Hank. No, thanks. You're fired. I did not have as much leverage in that moment as I hoped. (laughs) And AK, head lifted, walks over to her desk. Under the sound of Brazilian drums, we go to a Brazilian bar later that night. The drums are coming from this very sexy place. Dark, crowded, filled with sexy grown-ups dancing to a samba band made up of hot Brazilians. We would all be so much happier if we were there right now. (laughs) And in the middle of it, in just the tiniest whisper of fabric, is Sarah and most of her skin, dancing her face off with so many beautiful people. Paula dances over, sweaty and scantily clad. They yell over the music as they dance. A miracle hath appeared unto me. Why are you speaking biblically? Because Jesus loves me. Do you see the drummer? The drummer is crazy hot and smiling at them. His name is Jesus. He sent me a drink and he's over 30 and he's an investment banker. Or a grown-up Brazilian musician with a job? I know. It's like finding a leprechaun riding a unicorn. He does have a huge tattoo of the Virgin Mary on his back, which is a minus, but he was drunk when he got it, so it's a check minus. Are you crying? 
I'm just so happy. Sarah hugs her and a waitress brings two shots. Oh, these are ours. To Jesus. The girls throw back the shots and keep dancing. Two beautiful Brazilian men dance up and everything turns sexy. Sarah's guy gets low, 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 and she looks over his head to see AK entering, followed by Tad, Bruce, Caitlin, and Hank. Bruce puts his arm around Hank. Woohoo! Work, Hank! Sarah, hi! Look who I brought. Sarah freezes. Hank looks over. The Brazilian's man face is mid Sarah's boobs. Oh, God. Yeah, boo! <laughs> Hank stares at him until he removes his arm. At the bar moments later, Hank, Bruce, and Caitlin get drinks. Sarah has pulled AK aside. This is so not okay. I am drunk. I am wearing doll clothes, and I am covered in sweat that is not mine. Okay, Sarah, you need to learn how to be yourself with your coworkers. Bruce pretended to be someone he wasn't with his ex, and it totally destroyed them. And now he's awake every night wondering if they'd be together if he had just told her about his love of wearing panties. Uh, no, see, I don't want to know that. AK, this is really dangerous. Hank approaches with two drinks. Not sure you need this, but I do. Yay, drinks! Okay, let's toast. Um, two blurred lines. And good business relationships. <laughs> they take a drink, it's awkward. So, I can't believe you're here. Yeah, me either. AK just started talking and then we were in a cab. But this place is pretty great. Yeah, it's the last place left where people don't take pictures of their food. Okay, I'm going to leave you to it. Hank, tell Sarah about teaching guitar to those African kids. And Sarah, Hank hadn't heard about your certification in erotic massage. Get into that. She runs off. You taught guitar to African kids? Nope. You erotically massage? Only for money. (laughs) Sarah smiles and Hank smiles back. They take sips of their drinks. Under amazing Brazilian carnival drum-heavy music, a montage of quick poppy scenes. At the bar, A.K., Caitlin, and Tad all do shots. On the dance floor, Bruce tries to dance at Hank, who just drinks. A.K. dances behind Bruce, reaches down the back of his pants to give him a wedgie, and comes up with a purple thong. Bruce shakes his booty proudly. Hank laughs, enjoying Bruce for the first time. On stage, Paula dances with A.K. and Caitlin in front of the simmering hot drummer. At the bar, Hank and Sarah sit close together on stools, watching the girls dance, drinking and shouting over the music. So, I'm taking it you would normally be up there, too? Oh, you know, we all have a lot of sides to ourselves. Sarah, you work hard and play hard. That's fine. Don't be weird. Okay. I mean, although work hard, play hard makes me sound more like a Budweiser ad than I'd like. So, what's your story? Never married... No, I, I tend to say no. How many times have you been asked? Not that many. I, I know, I know I should be ready by now, but I like running off to Paris for the weekend and not, you know, giving birth to people I might end up driving crazy, and so I just keep not being ready. Well, you're too young. I mean, it'd be like a baby having a baby. Yeah, people would be all, ooh, gross, how can someone so young be a mother? <laughs> So, let me, uh, let me guess how this all came about. Your dad left your mom for AK's mother when you were very young, leaving you to fend for yourself and teaching you that all men leave, and so you leave first. And your fear of abandonment is what causes you to hide parts of yourself from people like, I don't know, me, in case I don't like it and leave. Wow. That was really kind of... Cheating! It was cheating. So AK told me the whole story. I'm so sorry. She... 
does not know how to make appropriate conversation with her boss. Sarah laughs. He's adorable. Across the room, a drunk, upset Tad slurs loudly at AK. I, I know I seem like I have it all going on, but my parents really only said to do the one store, and I've only been at the company like a month, so I don't really know what I'm doing, per se? No, you just you believe in yourself. My mom says you know everything you need to know just by waking up in the morning. Hmm, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I, I should talk to Sarah and Hank. Tad looks over at Sarah and Hank, who are talking close. AK looks pleased, but Tad starts over there. Before he gets away, AK grabs his arm and kisses him. She does a great job. Back at the bar, Sarah and Hank lean in close. When I was young, a cute girl said hello. I loved her. Now a cute girl says hello. I decide she'll talk through movies or show up to dinner in pants with words across the butt. (laughs) And then you hate her before you know her. I know. It's so hard not to hate people. Hank nods. Sarah looks at him nervous but hopeful. So, before I knew I was going to hang out with my boss, I did an inappropriate amount of tequila shots, so I'm going to say something super dumb. I don't hate you. Hank takes this in and changes. He's all business again. Um, well, I've had a nice time too, but, uh, you know, boss, employee. Oh, right, totally. I mean, I didn't mean... I normally don't even socialize with work. Neither do I, even hot ones. Oh, shit. (laughs) The the one time I did, I married her and then got taken for a tremendous amount of money and my last company when she left me to go live on a boat with a guy who just wears flip-flops. Sarah nods. There's an awkward beat. Was it a nice boat? I wish it were nicer. (laughs) It's so awkward. Mercifully, an upset Paula comes up. My drummer with a job is talking to that twit from your office. Sarah sees the drummer is talking very close with Caitlin. Your sister ruined the city's last grown-up dance party with terrible tweens. He can smell her young ovaries. Oh, I'm sorry, honey, but your ovaries still smell fresh as days. Can we please go? It's time to go. Yes, it is. He points over to where AK, Tad, and a third girl are all making out and taking selfies of their three-way kisses. This is why bookstores are dying. Bad kitty, bad kitty! (laughs) She and Hank go to break it up as we end Act 2. Act 3, we're in Sarah's apartment the next morning. We're close on Sarah's sleeping eyes. A phone dings and her eyes pop open. She notices an arm draped over her, which belongs to AK, sleeping next to her. Sarah removes the arm, picks up her phone, and thumbs it. Oh, God. Oh, God. No, 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 no. Sleepy. No, get up! Get up! Oh, I should have gotten a cat. What happened? Someone tweeted a picture of you in a three-way face mash with our biggest client. (laughs) Embarrassing. Sarah starts frantically digging through clothes. No, not embarrassing. I just got an email from Coco Carrot's lawyers using words like coercive business practices because their precious baby signed up for two stores on the same day that he was seduced and manipulated sexually by HJS employees. The owners are coming in this morning. AK picks up a shirt from a pile and offers quietly. This would be cute with that skirt. Sarah snatches it and storms out. AK gets up and follows. We're in Sarah's living room kitchen, continuous. Sarah storms in to turn on coffee, AK behind her. Sarah, it's going to be fine. Okay. I know you've gotten gold stars for every trip to the bathroom your entire life. So, all of this 
isn't your fault. But take it from someone who had to kick and fight for everything alone while her father was bringing you breakfast in bed. This is a huge mess that hopefully won't get me fired by the boss who I completely humiliated myself in front of, also kind of because of you. Did you make a move? He is so obviously into you. I'm sure he was. AK, we're done. I'm not up to this big of a project. We are putting the lines back in place between me and Hank and between you and me. There's a knock at the door. Now what? Sarah opens it. Bob and Lucy are there with bagels and coffees. Who needs coffee and electrolytes? AK, I saw your Instagram pics. That girl you kissed was darling. (laughs) Sarah, AK says you're going to start coming for Sunday dinners. Not ever. But glad you're here, because AK's ready to be picked up from her playdate. Don't forget her binky. I'll see you all at Christmas. She turns to leave. AK chases her. Sarah, I'm sorry I messed up. I was just trying to keep Tad from changing his mind about the stores and give you some time with Hank, which could totally work out, you know? Sometimes things do. They just work out. Sarah looks at Bob. That's not been my experience. Sarah leaves the room. Lucy is looking at the fridge. I'm seeing a lot of wedding announcements. She must leave those up to keep herself from snacking. (laughs) At the HSJ offices later that morning, Sarah enters. She walks up to Caitlin at her desk. Hey, so fun seeing you cut loose last night. I used to be so intimidated by you, but now I'm like, we can totally party together. Age is just a number. Is he in yet? Oh, he certainly is. She turns to find Hank looking sleepy and awkward. So, lots to discuss? Yes, I am so sorry about AK. I obviously let her go. You didn't have to. Yep, yep, I did, I did. Uh, She crossed a line. You don't cross with people you work with. I have found that is a great rule of thumb. Okay, so everything's back to how it was. I'm a worker bee who doesn't know how to cut loose, and you are my boss who is only slightly nicer to me than you are to everyone else. Bruce walks by, holds up a hand for a high five. Pure Vita dancing, buddy, up top. (laughs) Hank just stares at him and Bruce scurries away. So, Coco Carrot... But before they can bumble any further, a 60-something man and woman storm in. These are Tad's parents. A hungover Tad follows, in trouble. Tad's dad spots Hank. You. Phil, hello. Good to see you. We're not here to chat. We're here to pull out of every one of our stores. You guys totally need to chill out. Sit down, Chad. Okay. Chad obediently sits down. Phil, Rebecca, we are as upset as you are, and we have already fired the employee who... But that is exactly when AK enters. She's dressed impeccably for work, in Sarah's clothes, in fact. She walks primly to the receptionist's desk and takes a seat, formally. Oh, no. That's the girl they used on Taddy. Sarah turns to Hank. I got this. She rushes over to AK. AK, what are you doing here? I'm here to show you I can do this. I'm grown up in lady pants. That I, oh, sorry. I'm here to show you I can do this in grown up lady pants that I borrowed from your closet. I hope that's cool. Oh my God. Sarah turns to Tad's parents. We really did let her go. Guess the company slut wasn't ready to hang up her hat yet. Wow, no. Whoa, easy there with the slut shaming. With all due respect, your son was there too. I totally was, and so was that other girl. What was her name? No idea. She smelled good though. Point is, my sister is not a slut. No, the the point is that no one is a slut. There should be no such thing as a slut. Really? That doesn't sound right. (laughs) No, it doesn't. Because some girls. 
<laughs> okay, look, what's important is the deal. I would never push you into <clears throat> I would never push you into a decision that is bad for your company. Tad made a good decision yesterday, and I'll show you the financials to prove it. Your son is a smart, great kid who just enjoys a night out. And can I just say... Nope, you cannot. You can sit quietly for three to five more years. AK sits quietly next to Tad. Sarah turns back to his parents. If I may, if you're going to give Tad the company, give him the company. He's got to be allowed to make mistakes, or he'll never learn how to fix them. She looks at AK. He's smart. He'll be a fast learner. AK smiles at Sarah a little. Sarah smiles back. And mom, dad, Hoboken really was a good call. You know what they say. I know everything I need to know just by waking up in the morning. <laughs> Tad's parents look at each other. We're really, really broken. <laughs> Too many parenting books. She turns to Sarah. All right. We'll look at your numbers. Great. Of course, please, this way. AK, just please sit at that desk and answer the phone. AK happily runs over and sits at the front desk as Sarah leads Tad's parents off, leaving Tad with AK, a beat. So, uh, next time in, in New York, maybe you and I could... You might get to meet our baby. Tad, freaked out, calls off to no one. Yeah, Dad, I'm coming. He rushes off after his parents. A.K. smiles. We're in Sarah's apartment later that night. A.K. and Sarah sit on Sarah's couch eating takeout. You know, I've been a lot of places and done a lot of things with a lot of people, and I kind of felt like I'd seen it all. But I think you're going to be able to shock me. I'm really not as wild as you think. You know, I was at the lady doctor, and they had the med students examine me because it's so rare to find a woman my age with no venereal diseases. Oh my god! I know, I'm pink as a flower. No, I mean, oh my god, I have sex with men who are sleeping with those filthy girls. Ugh! Okay, wow, maybe I'm the coddled one. Ha! You know, Dad just coddled me so much because he missed you. Sarah looks dubious. Really? He was always bragging about you and your adventures. I, I actually thought you were a superhero off fighting crime until I was about eight. Come on. It's true! I didn't really understand that you were my sister. Sarah flinches. That's why I asked Dad to get you to hire me. You asked him to ask me? Well, yeah. I don't know. I want to get to know you. You're ambitious, and I think I could be too. I'm half Asian, after all. <laughs> that was really racist. I know. I'm so sorry. I just I want to get to know you. You're family, and that's the best thing in the world. <laughs> Sarah shakes her head, smiling. Uh, yeah, that is not the way I think about family. Yeah, well, that's because mom and dad are total wackadoos, but you seem cool. <laughs> so do you, in a completely unrelatable way. Okay, how about this? You teach me how to be a grown-up, and I will teach you what's good about family. Ooh, I know someone who's going to wake up with a croissant on her chest. <laughs> Ooh, is that, is that a sex thing? Oh, man, are there new sex things I'm too old to know the names of? Don't worry, I'll fill you in. In the meantime, cut my meat for me? Ha, kidding, I've been using knives for, like, months. <laughs> Sarah gives AK a little shove, and off the two sisters eating, we end Act 3. In the tag, in the HSJ offices the next day, AK sits at her reception desk, knitting. Her ball of yarn rolls across her desk, unraveling as it goes. She reaches for it, and it rolls off the desk, unraveling more. 
Sarah walks, walks briskly through the office, then stops to watch AK. AK gets up and runs for the yarn, but accidentally bats it across the room the other way. She turns and runs after it, and accidentally bats it away again. She runs after it. Sarah watches her sister bat at the yarn like a cat a couple more times, then walks back into her office. End of show. comedian and movie buff Ricky Carmona and I'm excited to tell you about a new show I'm doing called Who Shot Ya? Join me, LA Weekly film critic April Wolf. I'm gonna call Star Wars when it comes out the Clint Howard Project. <laughs> film reviews editor for The Wrap, Alonzo Duraldi. Everything Charlize Theron knows about killing somebody with a high-heeled shoe she learned from single white female. Trust me. And our dope-ass friends each week. The stunt guys were asking me, like, do you need a stunt double in here to, for, for you to skate? I was like, no, no, I, I was on skates at three. So if you're tired of whack opinions and you're looking for a smart, funny film discussion show, check out Who Shot Your Son? That's what we do. And you can find us at MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, I'm here with uh, Kristen Newman. Um, to hi, talk Andrew. about hi, Kristen. Talk about women and girls, which uh, which we read. So, so let's start. Just tell me about how this whole thing came about. Well, um, I was working on the neighbors, Dan Fogelman's uh, alien show for ABC, uh, when it was time to uh, develop something, and so I had a few log lines. And, and when you say it was time to develop something, were you in a deal at that point, or it was just like pitching no. season was coming up, and no. you felt like okay, time to yeah, pitching okay. season was coming, and I had to develop with ABC Studios because that's where the neighbors was. And so I had uh, I had a few log lines, and I really just went directly to the head of the network and asked her which one she wanted me to develop. <laughs> and so she told me this one, saw me fall me, and uh, and so I developed it. And it was based loosely on the fact that I have younger half siblings. I was an only child. My dad remarried, and I have three younger half siblings who are now 24, 22, and 17. Um, but at the time, they were more like you know 20, 18, and. 15 or something like that um and uh so there was a little bit of it based on that that situation of having the much younger siblings and while the uh younger sister on the show is not my sister um there is this element of you know i left home as soon as i could and went far away to college and travel and go and wanted out and my Half siblings are all still living at home at 24, 22, and obviously at 17, and you know go to college but didn't live in the dorms. Um, you know, my brother I don't think drove till he was 19 or something. He's still living at home. Everybody's uh, everybody's still at home, and um, you know live a much more kind of sheltered life than I did. And uh, and my father is just happily on the couch with them running around him and hopes they never leave. Uh, so he, there was my mother was not in the house, push, push, pushing um, with them. They had a different kind of mom. Uh, so that was sort of the inspiration for the two and, things. And they responded to that. I feel like what, that is something they are often looking for is that show about these sort of two generations. I don't know if it's Gen X and Millennial exactly, but it's like that sort of generational difference. So that's what Sami said. Oh, we we like that concept and the fact that it was personal. I assume. Yeah, for sure. And at the time, it was also, it was like four years ago, I think, was when it was developed the first time. It was died. It died twice. Uh, It was killed twice. 
Um, so the first time it was like season two or something of girls, season one or two of girls. So that was really happening. The world, the word millennial and what they were all about was sort of fresher and happening. Now I feel like it's been talked kind of to death and girls is over and all of that. But at the time I was a sex in the city generation watching girls and, um, experiencing that. And so really the original idea was what it, what would carry and her friends have thought of Lena Dunham and her friends. Okay. And like, what are these girls who are walking around in their pajamas and don't work and, you know, let men treat them terribly and are like not nice to each other, aren't good friends to each other. You know, it was, it was such a different vision of um, young female friendship than, um, than the Sex and the City generation of like hardworking women in the stilettos taking care of each other. Um, so that was the sort of original idea too. And then it's sort of that, that concept has aged a bit. I feel, you know, I think even my generation is not wearing stilettos anymore. It's really flats have happened. Flats have come in sandals. You'll notice I'm wearing a very low heel right now. It's a very, for the listeners, it's true. Yeah, that's true. Um, so things have changed. Um, but yeah, it, it, I, I wrote it. They loved it. It got passed on. They said, we can't believe it got passed on. It's so fantastic. The next year, I was still at ABC. They said, this year, out of all the scripts on Polly's desk, there was only one script he said, we want to keep it around for this year again because it was so good and we're so upset it didn't get made last year. Women and girls, it's back. (laughs) Just do a quick little pass on it with a couple little notes and then, oh, we love it so much. And so I did a quick little pass, gave it back to them again. And there were small changes. There wasn't like some big... Oh, small changes, not a big deal. I think it made it better. I felt great. They felt great. It was wonderful. Didn't make it again. Um, I think if I'm right, the timing was that maybe Paul got fired maybe right in the middle like of there. Seasons ago, I guess, or if there was yeah. But maybe it was mm-hmm. the year before he got fired because he got fired when I was in the middle of the Muppets. So it possibly was the year before, and it just got passed on again. And why? I don't know. And by the way, I'm still at ABC, and they're still quoting that script. And talking about how much they love it and asking me what my next idea is. And I'm like, well, we could just make that script that you have that everybody keeps weirdly bringing up to me and saying that they love. But I don't know. Maybe it's their boss's boss's boss who didn't want to make it and they can't control it. I don't know. Right. I mean, it, it is a thing. It probably they think that's making you feel good and Maybe. not realizing, like, that doesn't feel... It's almost easier when it just cleanly dies and it's not just like dangled like it may we may revive this yeah. it may happen again. Why not just make it? Yeah, it's it's I mean all of us have the piles of scripts that were not made and there's no good reason they weren't made. They just weren't made yeah. and they don't want to just ever go back to them because they're old goods, but yeah. You know, so when way. you were I mean the notes you were getting when you were writing it was there a theme was there anything that they were uh, you know, I think about the main characters of Sarah's, the sort of older sister, the one who's working, and and there's a lot of interesting. You know, I think you wrote a very sort of complex character. She's she's not just the sort of working woman. She also, you know, you show her. Uh, I, I was curious about the the way we meet her on this plane back from Paris. Like she she is also a partier, um, but in her own way. Was that something that you conceived of from the beginning, or that came about through notes? Uh, no, it was from the beginning. I, I, I definitely, I mean, she's very based on me, the very, like, work hard, play hard of it all. I got married at 40 for the first time. I was doing a lot of single girl travels. I wrote a book about it uh, while everybody was getting married and very much avoided 
getting married so I could run around and have adventures and freedom and, and all of that, but also have always worked really hard. And in high school, I snuck out to parties and got A's and <laughs> kind of always um, did both uh, really hard. So that was very based on me. And I also, you know, didn't want her to be the stick in the mud character either, who only worked and the other girl only played. Um, so I wanted to make sure that um, that she was fun too, just in a different way. She was just right. a grown-up who took care of her shit in addition to having a good time, and the younger sister was just only having a good time and really not taking care of any shit. Um, it's the tricky thing about that character to have her not just be the voice of reason and the scold and the one who's just always telling her sister, you have to grow up and be an adult. You know, And I felt like you rode that line well like we see her out scantily clad and dancing and you know and drinking too much and doing so she's not just yeah a bummer and her sister's the the fun one yeah so I wanted to really focus on just how she knows how to keep the two worlds separate you know and has a corporate self and a and a party self but her sister there's no boundaries I feel like for the next generation and I think a lot of that is you know your life is on Instagram and social media, so when your employers look you up, they see you partying on a table. There, it, there is no privacy anymore. Um, I don't have a sense of privacy, and I work in a in an industry where if somebody finds a picture of you like snorting cocaine off of a dead body, you like get more work <laughs> versus less. So I think that that is a different sort of thing. But in corporate America, that is not the case. I hear I've never had a job. Do you have you? I don't uh, know. Not a regular one. Not no, really. I don't know. Um, but people say that, people that, say that that's the case. They I mean, wear pants to work, long pants, and like closed-toed shoes, and I don't know. They wash their hair like really regularly in in like law firms and stuff. I hear. I hear. It's weird. Do that as a writer, you don't get hired. It's, it's so weird. You must not be a creative genius. So speaking of jobs, how did you figure out? I always have a hard time when writing thinking of jobs for characters. It's uh, hard because we've <laughs> never know, had jobs. We never, and because because you're you are writing a version of yourself, mm-hmm. but you can't make her a comedy writer because that's death. Um, so she in the show works at a. It's like. People in Los Angeles might know that, but like Caruso, like a, a sort of a mall, a real estate company that, that mostly handled malls. Yeah, that make, <laughs> we're sitting in the farmer's market right now, adjacent to the Grove. They make sort of Grove-like places. Yeah, what is that? No you, what, idea. How did you come up with that? No idea. Couldn't, like, had such a hard time. That was the biggest problem in development, I'm now remembering. It was a few years ago. Um, originally, I had her working at a... Um, like a, a PR firm that was kind of a fixer for celebrity messes. So, uh, and I still really like that job um, for her because it was basically somebody trying to constantly like fix it when, uh, you know, Justin Bieber has hit his girlfriend and like fix the kind of PR mess of it all. So she's kind of cleaning up uh, celebrity missteps all the time and then she's got this sister who also is you know getting into the celebrity missteps and there was sort of a like you know they're supposed to be cleaning up someone's image and the little sister is in there having three ways and you know all of that uh, so that was the original job but they thought that that was too inside and not America enough and yeah, so they wanted a more regular job so then I had to just come up with a corporate job that is boring and has nothing to it and it was really hard and honestly I think that that was a balance too was how much is it the workplace and how much is at home and you know I wanted to have it be a, a, a family that is also working so it wasn't just in a house because I've written a lot of family sitcoms and I wanted to kind of get them out of it a little bit um, 
But, you know, I wonder sometimes if that was, if the workplace is too boring, honestly. Well, it's, it's really hard to do because mm. you always, you know, if it's anything Hollywood related you get, it's too inside. Even though it seems like all America really cares about is Hollywood and think. inside thing, but yet you're not allowed to, to no. write that. So then, and you often, when you are writing yourself... You have to come up with sort of an equivalent, you know, the traditional thing is, oh, it's an architect, mm-hmm. like it's vaguely creative, or they work in advertising. Sure. And, you know, magazine those are played writer. out. Magazine, yeah, sure. those are played out. So, sure. you, and it's often when you're writing a workplace, it's it's like the details of that thing. It always ends up being like, hey, what about the Williams account? Like, we better get on the yeah. Williams account. Like, oh. where's the, th-? and, you know, and it's just this vague. Fax machine, say that we did a fax something. That's, yeah. Those are the, that's, <laughs> right. is that an office term? Right, right. Honestly, I'll write workity work work in right. the dialogue right. and go back and figure it out later and ask my, you know, business school friends how to write it. Right. And, it, you know, it's, but it, it felt like at least in this, you got to, there was some commentary about like, oh, we're shutting down another bookstore and you were sort of able to talk about the state of the world a little bit in this thing. But I did think like, oh, I bet she's thinking that it's going to be tough to keep doing these, right? these mall real estate sure. workplace Sure, stories. exactly. I mean, I figured ultimately it would be like the office where who cares if they who sell paper, right. you know, and it doesn't really matter. But yeah, it was a little bit of a generational thing that you could talk about there in terms of you know, the death of the mall because nobody goes out, nobody leaves their house, nobody shops in a brick and mortar, all of that stuff. I was just reading something about, um, about what is going on in terms of, I guess it's not millennial. It's like whatever the next generation is your kids is. Yeah. Um, but they're doing kind of studies on those teenagers and, the good news is, is that teen pregnancy and drunk driving is way down because they don't leave the house. Right. They don't they're, go outside. They're the physically safest generation ever. That's right. But they're, but they're all committed all suicide. Miserable. Yeah. 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 I think Anxiety. I read the same story. Yeah. Super sad. Super yeah. sad. But uh, yeah, they don't get their licenses and they don't drive to the mall. Right. So those places die. Yeah. So it, it's, I mean, there, there, there is some mall material, but mm-hmm. I, I, you know, probably by episode 40, the, the mall stories may have been tough. I mean, you were, because you, you're doing a show that's like, it's part workplace show. It's part family show, you know, and it's part of sort of like a friend's hangout yeah. show. You know, it had all of those those pieces. Yeah, and maybe um, it was too many pieces for people to understand. Who knows? Because they've shopped it around, too, since then. And people are like, oh, maybe there's a little too much family. Or, oh, there's a little too much workplace. Or, you know, there's like, I think that the networks have decided what they want ahead of time. Right. Which is another reason. they want reason. to do one thing. Yeah. yeah. And I, it's why I think the development process is real fakakta, mm-hmm. is that they know who they want to work with. They know what shows they're gonna put on in terms of log lines. The whole they should just <laughs> buy the idea and the auspices and make it. Like this whole write scripts and then they don't care about the script at all. Like how many times, Andrew, has somebody come to you and said, Hey, um, it's January, we're about to shoot this pilot. We don't like the script at all. We need you to come in and supervise it and do a complete rewrite. The script is in terrible shape, but we love the area or we love the actor attached. Um, but we, the script is terrible. And then there's the piles of good scripts that you read that don't get made. And so why write the script? They want the logline and the writer yeah. or the actor, whatever it is. Yeah. But you never know while you're doing it because it seems like I could see this one. seems like this is the logline they want. They want to do a show about this generational differences. And that's the logline they're looking yeah. to do at, at that point. Yeah. And may, you know, and, but then you, so there's still no way it's of six fig- past. figuring it out. Yeah. 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 Um, at what point did you decide to make the 
the, the new mom Asian and make the uh, sister half Asian? Well, my mother, my stepmother is from the Philippines. Okay. And so, so my was, siblings are, yeah, are, are, half, uh, are half Filipino, but also, you know, wanted to... You know, mix diversity. it up. Yeah, have some diversity. You know, as you can see in... Uh, I don't know if you remember on all the ABC pilots this year, everybody had an adopted sibling. Yeah. <laughs> because, because that was the only way to make family shows diverse because everybody's usually the same race in a family. So yeah. there were like two or three shows where there was a grown adopted sibling of a different race, right. which I found hilarious. <laughs> You're like, oh, well, there's their way to get it in. New adopted sibling. Yeah. Everyone on television has adopted siblings. Yes. Yes. I, I, I was wondering if it came from that, but it sounds like this was it was actually, this is your... Real life. This is real life. Mm-hmm. You always love it. It's when, true. When it's real life. Mm-hmm. They did ask me uh, a couple of years ago if I could redevelop it because they had, uh, I think, a, did they call it a Latina agenda or something like that? But they were like, can we just make the uh, half Asian people you know, uh, Latino instead, right. uh, and just get that. I'm like, we, we can, but I don't know that I'm going to fulfill your need to have an authentic voice right. from the Latino community on television. Right. Yeah. That seems to happen a lot. Yeah. I have another writer, a friend who, um, is a white man married to a woman of, uh, Ethiopian descent and they have two mixed race children and they wanted him to change it to Latinos too, instead of his very <laughs> authentic experience of, a black and white family. <laughs> right. He finally, got, yeah, I remember he was excited. He's like, I get to write my family story. This is like, I've been watching it. It's just like, oh, can you just change every everything that makes it specific and real and true to your you know, passionate yeah. thing? That can you is just it change racist all of that? to ask right. you to make them Latino instead? Yes, it's yeah. racist, actually. Yeah. It's yeah. not interchangeable. Who did you have in, did you have an actor in mind for, for Sarah when you were writing this? Um... Lake Bell was in my head quite a okay. bit. I thought that she would have been fantastic. Um, and uh, I was now I'm completely blanking on her name. What is her name for the uh, for AK? It was she's the Asian woman who uh, is in a bunch of Judd Apatow stuff. Who, do you remember her? Oh, sure. And uh, uh, no, I'm kind I of I can't remember. I'll, I'll I can't her, remember her name. Intro, but yes, she would have been great. She would have been great. Yeah. Um, Okay, yeah, Lake Bell would have been great. You know, it was funny, you know, Constance Zimmer, who read it yes, when we did the she reading, was, was sort of when I was reading it, somehow I heard her voice. I thought she was great lines, for it. And she, you know, I thought she was great. Um, I'm always curious, you know, if you had. It's also tough, you know, when you're writing, had you written yourself as a character before? Yes, I have. It used to be that I would picture, um, that I would picture uh, Elizabeth Banks. That's who used to be me when she, we're the same age now, but now when I write myself, I would be too old to play myself on television now. So now I can't cast women who are my age as myself anymore, which is an odd place to get to in your writing career. <laughs> Suddenly you're, you're, you're really young you. you yeah, yeah. There's no, you can't write yourself you can't write, at this no, age. That's gross. It's disgusting. No one <laughs> no, wants to see a 44 year old person on television. Could ever want to see that? Eh, I mean, no. maybe if, as a grandmother, yeah. maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Because people that age, they're not watching TV anymore. No, in no. Their old age homes. Yeah, they're just in their rocking chairs. Yeah. Maybe. What was it like hearing it? It was so weird and uh, and off-putting. It was great in ways, but you hear all the things that you would want to rewrite, especially because I had written it, you know, a couple of years ago, three years ago. Um, so it had been a while. So hearing it out loud was very fresh, and so I got to hear the things that I would change a lot, and it made me 
again, learned for the thousandth time that you should never turn in a script before hearing it out loud. And yet, I always do. And we all do. We all do. Why do we do that? We well, know part on of television. It is the time, yeah. The time pressure when it gets to that point when it's like it's Christmas Eve and they're asking yes. for the thing and like, how are you gonna? get, you know, if you have a writing Uncle Sa- partner... Aunt Sally and Uncle Tim, yeah, get over here. Yeah, the table yeah. And, I mean, if you have a writing partner, you can at least sort of read it out loud together, but it's weird if you're writing on your own to read it out loud. Yeah. It also doesn't tell you what it would tell you to have actors yeah. reading it, but it is almost instantaneously you hear it and you're just like, oh, okay, right. that, that just, that doesn't work, that, yeah. you know, that doesn't sound right, this... This section is too long. This is, you know, um, but you want a friendly group to do it because it's such yeah. a it's such a naked thing to do to say let's read it out loud and see what works. Because like, what if you read it out loud and it really needs a lot of work? I mean, we do that for a living, but yeah. you know, it's 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 not as naked. It's not just yours, just fresh, and you're reading it in your living room or whatever. Right. So there's part of it that's time. There's part of it that's a little scary. Yeah. Well, they're, they're, they go together because mm-hmm. you don't have a lot of time. So if you did have that, if you did hear it out loud and you're like, oh no, this needs a ton of work, but I had, the studio is asking for it tomorrow. Yeah. You don't kind of don't want to know that. Mm-mm. No. Um, no. And the, fact, and the fact is it is, uh, the things that we hear when we hear our scripts read out loud are so much about the comedy mm-hmm. of it, and and it's also as we were just talking about before. That's not necessarily the thing that's going to keep your script from not getting picked doesn't up. Doesn't matter at it all. It doesn't really necessarily matter that it's not funny enough. Uh, we were just talking other, about how yeah. we keep getting the note. We're not worried about the funny. Can you dig deeper on you know what they did as their in their childhoods, which is obviously. Crazy pants. Like <laughs> right. the funny is what you should be worrying about in comedy. Watch the comedies for. And it's also, you know, I've also gotten the note a lot where they say, "Oh my god!" I mean, sure, it's funny, but, and then they give the note, and you're like, "No, do you? You if, stop! If if they if you say sure it's funny, then put a period on it because that's so hard. Like if we have somehow, by God's graces, made something funny, never touch it again. My favorite version of that was. Like, I know you're trying to be funny, uh-huh. but... Oh, and that's, just, just like, that's not nice. And it was sort of like, well, yeah, kind of. I am kind of trying to be... I thought that's, that's what right. you were paying me so to, yeah, to, to do. Yeah, a little turn of... Just to try to be yeah. funny, but, you know... Light dramas. A lot of light... Half-hour light dramas is what we're looking for, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I, I mean, I think that maybe should make you feel better that you don't hear them out loud before handing them in, because it might not really make a difference. But I think as a writer, it is always... It's a great thing about working TV to me, I think, as opposed to movies, is you're constantly getting to hear your stuff read out loud and you learn from that, like what works and what doesn't work. And you know, you, if you're on a show, you're doing that week after week after week and you learn. And it's, you know, it, it is hard sometimes with pilots because you're so focused on answering these notes and you're just like, oh, all right, this chunk is boring and this, you know, I could lift this. And, you know, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't know if you, another thing that I noticed when I was hearing it out loud is, I mean, I used too many words a lot, so there was a lot of extra words. But there would also be, you know, jokes after the joke. Like, there would be the laugh, and then there'd be... And you know what's happening when you're, like, going through it one more time and just trying to add as many jokes as yeah. you can, and you hear it. But then you hear it out loud, and you're like, oh, yeah, I went past, past it. it. I went past it. I went past it again. So you're just trying to make it so full yeah. of giggles. And those are the easiest things when you do hear it out loud. They're always so clear. Yeah. Like, oh, okay. That's past laugh. Just yeah. trim that out. But also, it's the notes, right? Like, you also, 100% of the time, not, let's call it 90% of the time in life and in pilots, you can hear the note couplet 
that was inserted for a note and it's awkward and it doesn't feel right and it's extra yeah <laughs> yeah yeah well i thought i mean i i know it's always hard you you all you just hear the flaws but yes. i think it it really read great Thank you. Um, it was very sweet. It was really fun to hear it too. Okay, good. It was great. So I enjoyed glad them all. That you let us do it. Oh, I love it. And uh, I'm excited to let people hear it. Well, I was um, super excited that you gave me the opportunity. It was really cool. Okay, hope you enjoyed that. As always, thanks to my co-host Ben Blacker. Thanks to Kaylin West for recording this. Thanks to Arts and Sciences for the space. Thank you to Noah Findling for handling everything that Ben and I don't want to handle. Please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Maximum Fun, wherever you get your podcasts. We really don't want you to miss an episode. While you're there, please leave us a rating. Also, follow us on Twitter at Dead Pilots Pod, on Instagram and Facebook at Dead Pilot Society, so you don't miss any of the live shows. Uh, I really want to thank you so much for making it this far and listening. Until next time, I'm Andrew Reich. See you next time. Well, you won't really see me, but you'll hear me. So I guess that you'll hear me next time. Bye.